Chapter 20 Cirque crouched in solitude beside his dying campfire. He stoked its flames with a stick. A myriad of unwanted thoughts stirred in his head, thoughts that refused to quiet despite the noiseless ambience of the forest surrounding him. He cursed and forced his mind to focus on the present, on the fire, on the camp, anything that would provide a momentary distraction. His focused act of denial was beginning to work, and then a distant noise crept into his ears. He cocked his head to listen and suddenly stiffened like a corpse. His chest heaved and he trembled. Silently, he eased to a stance. Horses? Furiously, he kicked at the ground, using his foot as a veritable shovel to extinguish the fire. Then he dropped to his knees and dug his fingers into the soil, ripping at the earth and tossing fistfuls of dirt onto the flames, praying the smoke would cease. He stopped abruptly and held his breath to listen again. His mind raced. The riders were drawing near to him, maybe even coming for him. He threw a final handful of soil on the fire and stomped the dirt into the smoldering embers. The thicket surrounding his tiny camp was sufficiently dense to conceal him from passers-by, but a fear of being seen overwhelmed him. He grabbed his bedroll and fled his snuffed-out campfire. After several paces, he ducked behind a large oak tree and squatted to the ground. The pounding hoofbeats reverberated in his ears, and their rapid pattering verified they were moving quickly, quickly toward him. Cirque waited in his hiding spot then slowly peeked beyond the tree, spying for movement between the small gaps in the brush that separated him from the riders. The advancing riders approached, and then they passed as quickly as they came, moving through a clearing less than thirty yards away. As the sound of the horses faded, Cirque stepped from behind the oak and peered over the brush. He counted three riders, and though he saw only their backsides, he recognized them immediately. His hideout on the outskirts of Cashel had gone unnoticed, but curiosity had found him. He hurried to his horse and pulled himself up. When the three arrived at Constantine's home in Cashel, Kenneth was the first to dismount. How are you so sure she's still here, Kenneth? You've been gone a long time, Chorich said as Kenneth left his horse and scrambled to the door. Because I told her to wait here. I told her I'd come for her, Kenneth replied without breaking stride. Chorich dismounted and waited for Ronan to do the same. Kenneth reached the door and pounded with a rapid fist. A wave of exhilaration swept into his heart. Arabella! Arabella! he called out. The latch lifted and the door opened. Kenneth paused when he saw her face. Kenneth, you're alive! Siana exclaimed. She reached forward and hugged him. Siana, yes, I'm alive, Kenneth said, still locked in her embrace. Where is Arabella? Siana, Chorich called, quickening his steps. You're here. Siana released Kenneth and rushed to Chorich. She wrapped her arms around his waist, and her stomach pressed against his. Chorich, how did you find him? Chorich's arms tightened around her frame, and he allowed the warmth of her body to seep into his. It wasn't easy. He was far away, but we found him. Siana, where is Arabella? Kenneth interrupted. Come inside, all of you, Siana said. Let me get you something to eat. She released Chorich and hurried past Kenneth. Siana, where's Arabella? Kenneth repeated, traipsing behind her into the house, impatient for an answer. Siana, where is Arabella? This time it was Chorich asking the question. 
we need to know where she is. Siana stopped beside the dining table. She removed a cloth that covered a loaf of bread and scooted the loaf toward the edge of the table as an offering. Her eyes lifted first to Chorich and then to Kenneth. Arabella is not here. Where is she? Kenneth said, trying to veil his anger. She's gone, searching for a way to save you, Kenneth. What do you mean? Is she in Renton? No, she's not in Renton. She left several days ago, for Perth. Perth? Kenneth's mind reeled as the words sunk into his ears. She left for Perth. She said she had to see Angus. Kenneth closed his eyes, dumbstruck. Chorich could only watch as his brother sunk under Siana's words, as though his newfound freedom had vanished into an abyss of hopelessness. Siana, tell us, why did she go to Perth? Chorich asked. Angus is a madman. What did she hope to find there? Chorich, you saw the men in Renton. They were paralyzed without your father to lead them. As he recovered in that bed, they sat by their campfires biting at each other's throats. Arabella was powerless. She felt that maybe in some way she could convince the Picts to help. She did it for you, Kenneth. She was afraid for you, afraid you were going to die. Kenneth's brow furrowed and his jaw tightened. I told her to wait for me here. I can't believe she's gone. Why didn't she wait? He dropped into a seat beside the table and ran his palms across his cheeks. Have you heard any word from her since she left? No, Kenneth. I haven't. Kenneth lowered his head and placed his hands over his face, appearing as though he was working to solve an unsolvable riddle. Siana, why did you leave my mother? Chorich asked, why did you come to Cashel? Siana stared down at the floor, rubbing her belly slowly. Her eyes lifted, I came because I knew you'd find Kenneth. And so you came to Cashel. Chorich questioned, confused by the response. I came because I knew the first place Kenneth would look for Arabella was here, in Cashel. I knew he would come for her. But Siana, I? Chorich, Siana interrupted, not letting him finish. She paused and tried to calm herself. You're a dedicated man. You are relentless in your stubborn, unending dedication to your father and your family. That is who you are. I know that. And I know Kenneth. I knew his heart would not stop until he found Arabella, that he'd come straight to Cashel to find her, and I knew that's where I'd find you. Chorich melted. His mind twisted. His heart wrenched. Siana, I couldn't leave Kenneth. Chorich grasped for words to fight back. We came here to get Arabella, and we were planning to return to Renton this evening. I was coming home to you, I had to make sure Kenneth stayed alive. Chorich, I need you to stay alive, Siana said. She hesitated. Your child needs you to stay alive. My child? Chorich uttered. Yes, Chorich, your child. You're pregnant. You're going to have a baby. I'm going to be a father. You are a father, Chorich. I wanted to tell you before you left, Siana said as tears formed in her eyes. I wanted to tell you, but I was afraid it was something you wouldn't want to hear. Chorich stepped to his wife and lifted her chin, why would you say that I wouldn't want to hear? Of course, I want to hear. You know I love you. I would do anything for you. But I see how you regard your father. 
There is nothing you wouldn't do for him. You would go to the end of the earth for him. Siana, this is not about my father. You should have told me about our child. Would you have stayed if I did? Chorich pulled away. He couldn't help his reaction, or deny it, even though he tried. Our people were dying, Siana. Somebody had to do something. The Picts are against us, the Vikings. What about me? What about our child? What about us, Chorich? Siana, this is not just about us. All of this, it's bigger than us. If we don't do something, there won't be an us, there won't be a Dalriada. And that is why I came here, Chorich. I know who you are. I know how driven you are. You won't let yourself stop until you've saved the world. Chorich drew a deep breath and stared silently at his bride. He gazed at her stomach, and his eyes slowly traced her frame upward until his eyes met hers. He wanted to tell her she was wrong. He wanted to justify himself, exonerate himself. He wanted to reassure her. He wanted her to know that he loved her. What could he say? His words were lost. He turned from Siana and walked out the door. She let him go. She stood mute as tears ran down her cheeks. I'm sorry, Siana, Kenneth said. He stepped to her and placed his hands on her shoulders. She trembled in his grasp. Several moments passed before he eased his eyes toward Ronan. Ronan shook his head. What do we do? I know what I've got to do, Kenneth replied, his tone cool and resolute. Siana, I am sorry. I'm happy to hear you are expecting a child, and I'm sorry for all that has happened to our family. Siana lifted her head. Sorrow etched her face like the sculpture of a forgotten angel. She nodded and closed her eyes. Kenneth stepped away and walked past Ronan toward the door. I have to see Chorich. She needs you, Chorich, Kenneth said as he approached his brother. He paused and stared at him. Chorich glimpsed toward Kenneth and then looked away without speaking. Kenneth shook his head and stepped past his brother. Where are you going? Chorich asked. The horses after that ride, they need water. Kenneth slowed his pace and gazed back. Chorich, she's concerned about you. She needs you. Chorich heard the words. He rubbed his brow and then turned and faced the house, not sure of what he'd say if he walked back through the door. He snapped from his trance and called to his brother, Kenneth, what about Arabella? What about you? Kenneth stopped and spun on his heels. Chorich, I am forever grateful to you for what you did for me, but I think it's time to stop worrying about me. You've got a wife and a child to think about. A long pause passed and Kenneth waited for Chorich to concede. Concession never came. Kenneth was wordless. His head lowered, and he turned and moved toward the horses. Chorich gazed at his brother as he walked away, his brother's words still echoing in his ears. Some things came easy for Chorich, yet other things did not. He wrung his hands and took a deep breath, then he stepped toward the open door to return to his wife. Siana remained in her chair next to the small wooden table. Ronan had found a stool and was now stooped beside her. He was comforting her with a calm, steady voice. When he heard footsteps behind him, he quieted and turned to see Chorich entering the doorway. Chorich motioned to him with his eyes and Ronan stood. Thank you for the bread, 
Siana, Ronan said. He glanced at Chorich. I think I'll get some air. Chorich waited for Ronan to depart. The door closed, and the two were alone. Chorich crossed his arms and gazed silently at the table and the broken loaf of bread. He searched carefully for the right words. I shouldn't have gotten angry, Siana. We are expecting a child. That is a blessing? He stared down at her sandy brown hair and thought of what she meant to him. I want to be a father, a good father. I want to be a good husband. I want you to understand that. Siana lifted her head and gazed into his eyes. I understand, Chorich. This child could not have a better father. I am certain you will be his greatest hero. Chorich, that is what you are to me, a hero. It's only that sometimes, sometimes, I need a husband. I'm not a hero, Siana. I'm a man, like every other man. I've tried to be a good husband. Siana, I love you. No matter what I do or what you think of me, I love you. Chorich, I believe you love me. I believe. Suddenly, the door to the house flung open, swiveling on its iron hinges and slamming against the wall behind it. Ronan leapt into the room. Chorich, I know you don't want to hear this, but it's Kenneth. He said he was taking the horses to get water, and he headed down the path to the well. But I just saw him on his horse, riding east through the field. Our horses, where are they? Chorich exclaimed. I don't know. I'll check the well, Ronan said, and he vanished out the door. I'll be right behind you, Chorich shouted toward the empty doorway. He turned to Siana one last time, I've got to go. We'll get him, and we'll be back. He left her and hurried through the door without awaiting a response. Chorich surveyed the field. No sign of Kenneth. He turned in the direction of the well and darted down the path in an open sprint. Nearing the well, Chorich spotted Ronan chasing the horses along the tree line. Chorich continued his sprint. After closing the gap of nearly forty yards, he approached the two horses opposite of Ronan, and together they corralled the animals. How far ahead is he? Chorich asked as Ronan mounted. He got a pretty good jump on us. I lost him when he disappeared through the trees over there, Ronan replied, pointing to a tuft of trees, several hundred yards away. Chorich mounted and the two rode back to the house. There in the darkened doorway, Siana stood alone, watching and waiting, and knowing. Chorich slowed his horse and gazed at her. I have to go after him. Don't go, Chorich. Ronan can get him. I need you. Don't leave again. Siana, he'll die out there by himself. I have to go. Don't leave me, Chorich, she begged, her lips quivering as she spoke. He's my brother, I have to get him, Chorich replied. He glanced at Ronan, go after him, I'll catch you. Ronan nodded, snapped his reins, and shot into the field toward the distant tree line. Siana, stay here. I'll be back, but you must stay here. Don't go to Renton. It won't be safe. Chorich's horse spun in a circle beneath him, and he swiveled his head to keep his eyes on Siana. I will come back for you. But what if you don't come back? I'll be back, Siana, I promise. I'll be back. Chorich jabbed his heels into his horse, and the animal leapt forward. Chorich, don't leave. 
I'll return soon, Chorich yelled back as his horse opened the gap between the two. No, Chorich. No, Siana cried aloud, with no one left to hear. Her petite frame slowly crumbled, and she fell to her knees. Staring at her husband's fleeting silhouette, she lowered her head, wrapped her arms around her swollen stomach, and wept. In Renton, Alpin, Constantine, Luog, and Lathan hovered beside a round pine table below the meeting tent. Gura, Taran, and three others stood opposite them. A map occupied the tabletop between the parties, and the men were bantering back and forth. Alpin leaned forward and pressed his finger on the map. They have to be in this area, he said, pointing to the mountain region of western Dalriada. Alpin, Alpin. A young man yelled from the distance, running toward the men. Upon reaching the tent, the young man paused and panted with excitement, Les has returned. He's brought Gavin and several others that escaped the Vikings. The men are bringing them now. Alpin peered past the messenger to see Les and a small pack of riders approaching on horseback. He quickly stepped from the tent and craned his neck to peer through the pack, searching for his boys. Les and the other riders stopped their horses and dismounted. Lathan rushed to greet his son, with Alpin only steps behind. Les, you're back. It's good to see you, Alpin said loudly, above the hum of the gathering. Where are Chorich and Ronan? The crowd hushed, and Les responded, they're all right. And, Kenneth is too. We found him at the Viking camp. We were able to free him and several more. He was in bad shape, but he'll live. You found Kenneth alive. Praise God, it's a miracle. Alpin exclaimed with an exuberance that stole his breath. Where are Kenneth and Chorich now? They're with Ronan. The three of them went to Cashel. They'll be here by nightfall. We freed roughly two dozen other prisoners. They headed south on foot once we reached the northwest edge of Loch Lomond. They were to head south on foot and find safety. That's good news, Les. Truly, it is. You young men cease to amaze me. But, I don't understand. Why did Chorich, Kenneth, and Ronan go to Cashel? I'm not sure you're going to like the answer, Alpin, but it was Kenneth. He insisted he had to go to Cashel and see about Arabella. Chorich and Ronan weren't happy with him, but he was determined. And Chorich wasn't going to leave him. They promised to be home by nightfall. Foolish boy. Why does he do this? That girl will get him killed one day, he's lucky he isn't dead already. Alpin shook his head in frustration. I suppose the Vikings didn't let you walk out of there. No, sir, Les said. That's what I need to tell you. The Vikings had a large fort, far to the west, close to Ardmuknish Bay in the Inveror Woods. We struck in the middle of the night. Once we had the prisoners free, we burned the fort. You burned the fort? Luog exclaimed in disbelief. We burned the whole bloody thing. We scattered their horses, and we blocked the exits of the fort with the Vikings inside. Did they come after you? Alpin asked. Frankly, I don't know, and we didn't stick around to find out. We took three carts and several horses, and we left as fast as we could. I'd guess they found a way out, but they still had to round up their horses. We've been watching behind us, but we've seen no sign of them yet. We left Chorich, Kenneth, and Ronan on the south side of the lock, and the eight of us rode here as quickly as we could. 
Constantine, Lathan, Gura, get your men ready, Alpin ordered. The battle may be coming to us. Wait, Taran interjected. Our scouts haven't returned from Perth. They could be coming with the Picts as we speak. Alpin glared at Taran. We've waited long enough for your damn scouts. It's been well over a week since you sent them on this dream of yours. For all we know, they're locked in Angus' dungeon, or worse, they're hanging from his gallows. There is no time to wait. Taran spun and faced his father, glaring at him and expecting support. Gura said nothing. Taran peered back at Alpin, how long did we wait for you on your rescue mission? How long have we waited for you to recover? Now you groan about waiting for the Picts. They'll double our numbers. If you are so dead set on having the Picts join us, then you wait for them. The rest of us have a battle to fight, Alpin fumed. He shook his head with disgust and turned to Luog. Send three men north. I want eyes on the road ahead. I want to know what we're up against. I want to know where the Vikings are and when they're coming. Yes, sir, Luog replied. Constantine, Lathan, Gura, as I said, ready your men. The men dispersed, and Taran cursed beneath his breath. Cirque emerged quietly from behind an overgrown hedge of blackthorn bushes. He had watched Kenneth ride away. He had watched Chorich and Ronan follow. He had watched Siana break down and cry. Mounting his horse, Cirque moved up the path to Constantine's home. There, he dismounted, secured his lead to a post, and shuffled to the house. Cirque stood at the door and paused to scan the field where he had seen the others ride away. He took a deep breath and then opened the door and stepped inside. Moments later, the door swung open and Cirque rushed back into the light of day. Shame tore at his gut like a flesh-eating poison. He ran to his horse, untied the animal, and mounted. He rode as fast as the beast could carry him, south toward Renton. Halfton and his horde of seven moved along the northern rim of Loch Lomond. Halfton's bitterness with Angus had yet to subside. As the eight reached the western trail to Inveror Woods, a dull rumble rose in the distance. Codron slowed and motioned to Halfton. Halt, Halfton shouted to the men. The eight slowed to a stop. The rumbling grew louder. To the west, a dark wave emerged far down the path. What the hell is that? Codron said, squinting to make out the figures. An army, it appears, Halfton replied. A large army, another man said. Get off the path, Halfton commanded. I want to see who this is. The small band of eight turned their horses and tucked themselves into the shadows of the forest along the path. They waited. The advancing army moved forward like a swarm of angry bees. The swarm drew closer. Jorand. Halfton, it's Jorand. Codron exclaimed. What is he doing here? Halfton muttered. Follow me. Halfton jerked his reins and rode from the trees. He moved to the center of the path and sat erect on his horse, facing the oncoming army. His seven men stopped beside him, aligning their horses side by side and forming a virtual wall across the path. They waited for Jorand. Jorand tugged the reins of his horse and stopped the large steed fifteen feet from Halfton. The army of Vikings halted behind him. 
I don't like the looks of this, Jorand. Tell me you have good news, Halfton said. A large vein swelled on his forehead as he glared at Jorand. I'm afraid the news is not good, Halfton, Jorand replied. Go on. Halfton braced himself. We were attacked in the night. The fort was burned and the prisoners were taken. Scots? Yes, Scots. Damn it, you ox. I left you there to make sure this didn't happen. Halfton's jaws crushed together and his lips tightened around his teeth. How could you let them do this? Halfton elevated in his saddle and peered over the mass of men behind Jorand. His head turned to the south as a dozen thoughts twisted in his mind. Then he lowered his frame and slowly gazed at Kodron. We have two enemies to destroy, the question is, which one first? 